Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to bring you timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to learn about learnings from the Relic plus EKR agency acquisition, and we're going to find out from the man who did it, Adam Stoker. Now, Adam graduated from BYU's nationally recognized advertising programs. He builds businesses, peoples, and products through his leadership. In 2020, he successfully led Relic into acquiring EKR, an agency that specializes in digital marketing and web development. Adam is listed in the 40 under 40 from Utah Business in the Utah Valley Business Magazines. Adam, it's great to have you here, my man. Who do you serve? Well, Bill, thanks a lot for having me. I, I really appreciate it. You know, it's funny. I, I look at my bio and, and they talk about the 40 under 40. And this is the first year that I actually have to look in the rearview mirror and say I wouldn't qualify for that anymore because I turned 40 this year. So it's it's funny. It's always felt like, well, I could still win that because I'm I'm in my 30s. But now I actually have to accept the fact that I would be ineligible for that award if I was to apply for it now. But I, I appreciate the introduction. And as far as who we serve, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting because as a business owner, you serve your clients. And, and as far as our clients go with EKR, we serve organizations, small to medium sized organizations that are attempting to either revitalize their brand or attempting to um, launch an advertising campaign they, that they want to be really impactful. Uh, and, and then of course on the Relic side, which is the organization that you mentioned originally, uh, we serve tourism destinations all over the United States. And, and so we've got these two different organizations and even more than we serve our clients, what I've, I've had to learn the hard way and I don't mean that in a negative connotation, but but what I've had to learn the hard way is that we need to serve our employees just as much as we need to serve our clients. And to be honest with you, I think that's one of the places where I took the longest to learn, and I'm still trying to perfect it and trying to do a better job. And where my focus is right now is doing a better job of serving our employees in an effort to to improve their lives, but then also be able to improve the the quality of work that we're doing for our clients. No doubt about it. Well, from an employee standpoint, probably the, uh, you've got to think, probably each employee has at least two other people involved. So a spouse and a child or something like that. And so you've got your employees times three. So yeah, it's a, it, it is. I'm glad you... Uh, brought that up and it's a serious very often overlooked part of building a high quality business so thinking about those respective people that you serve employees and customers what problems do they have that you serve solve excuse me that you solve yeah so it, it's interesting because i have two organizations right so right. I, I have to kind of put both hats on as as i answer that question uh, question number one would be with EKR and our clients uh, through EKR. The problems that they run into in a lot of cases is that they haven't yet uh, built a brand foundation and they don't they don't necessarily even understand what the 
important components of a brand are. What we believe is that a brand is the sum of all the touch points that your organization has with the outside world. A lot of people think it's a logo. A lot of people think it's a tagline or a poster on the wall or, you know, whatever it is. But it's actually the sum of all the interactions that someone has with your organization uh, through a variety of, of touch points. And so what we try to do is recognize which of those touch points can we control. And, and the way that we do that is by building what we call a brand foundation, where we actually say, what's the mission of the organization? Why does it exist? And what's the promise that you're making as an organization to your customers? And then we examine all the touch points that the organization has, whether that's the customer experience, whether that's an advertising piece that's going out, whether it's the way they answer the phone when somebody calls in. All of those different things are touch points, and we try to map it out and make sure that those touch points are consistent with the, with the desired brand uh, along the way for the organization. And then, of course, if you're doing a good job with those touch points, what you can trust is that most likely the touch points you can't control. So, for example, when two people are having a conversation about your organization and you're not a part of the conversation, what's the tone of that conversation? How does it go? Well, if you control the touch points that you can control, it's likely that those touch points are also going to be positive as well. And we really try to build brands for organizations, start with brands that, that then turn into advertising campaigns to help deliver the message of that brand and generate opportunities for the organization to grow. So we're, we're essentially brand first. And then we launch campaigns to help those brands grow and help communicate that brand message to potential employees. And uh, Relic? On the, yeah, on the Relic side, uh, you know, they're dealing with a completely different set of challenges. And in fact, uh, the challenges are changing pretty consistently. They need to get, it, it started out with they need to get more visitors to their destination at any given time. Well, now it's kind of evolved to they need to be sustainable as a destination. So they need to get visitors that are going to spend money there, but also they need to make sure that they're getting visitors there that will take care of the destination, that will not um, you know, destroy the trails or push rocks off mountains or, or whatever it is that people do when they go to a destination. Um, and, and so what we've had to do is figure out how to tell the destination story in such a way that we're actually going to inspire the right visitors to book a trip to fill the hotels, fill the restaurants, fill the attractions that are there uh, and generate the, the largest amount of revenue with the least amount of negative impact for the destination. And so we work with destinations like Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, we work with uh, several destinations here in Utah, Fresno, California. Uh, we, we, were in, we were able to participate in the process of rebranding Laredo, Texas a couple of years ago, which is a really unique project. And so what we really try to do is, again, we're still an advertising agency on both sides of the business, whether it's Relic or EKR, but our goal is to make sure that we're getting the right visitors to the destinations that are going to provide the most revenue with the least amount of negative impact on the destination. And then, of so, course, our employees, uh, I, I also want to I mean, yeah. the, the problems that our employees face is inflation is causing costs to go up like crazy. Our clients have not yet increased the amount of money they're willing to pay us to the point where we're able to continue to cover the costs that our employees have. And so our employees are dealing with a consistent increase of expenses. And 
while we're able to increase the salaries that we're paying, we can't move at the same pace that inflation is moving for them at the grocery store and the gas pump. And so what they're struggling with is they want professional development. They want to be able to take care of their family. Like you said, it's an average of three people per employee, right, that, that uh, needs to be taken care of. And so we are really hoping to do a better job of improving those conditions for employees so that they can solve the personal challenges that they have to deal with at, at their core. And then, of course, if those problems are helped or solved, they can do a better job of solving our client problems as well. Absolutely. No doubt about that. So uh, let's talk about how you go about typically solving these problems. And maybe the best way is for you to remember uh, a, a couple of, of uh, case studies, you know, for yeah. each of your, each of your agencies and for your employees. And just kind of walk through and say, this is how we went about solving. Maybe a Laredo would be a great, since you smiled when you talked about that particular engagement. Uh, tell us how you go soup to nuts through these various uh, stakeholders uh, that you've identified. Yeah, and, and Laredo is a great place to start. So this was with Relic, uh, the, the advertising agency that focuses on tourism. And when Laredo came to us, they had a real challenge. And the challenge was that they're a border town. Right. And if you looked at their visual identity, their visual identity made them look like what I would call cowboy Texas meaning that there was kind of the, the star in their logo and all their assets looked really Western when in fact they are, while they might be considered a Western town uh, by geography, they are not, uh, Western is not who they are at their core, right? And then you'd have the issue that Fox News uh, and, and other news outlets, but Fox News was, was the culprit in a lot of cases in, in this one, that they would have a reporter standing there in a bulletproof vest talking about how dangerous it was at the border in Laredo, when in reality, Laredo is one of the safest places that you can find in the United States because every law enforcement agency is there. You've got border control, you've got the FBI, you've got the police, you've got uh, several different organizations that are that are really trying to protect not only the citizens, but the, the visitors that come to the destination. And so it's a really safe place to be. And I've, I've experienced that firsthand in going down there and visiting my perception of Laredo versus what the actual experience was, was completely different. Uh, and so our, our job was, how do you look at their brand and position them correctly to what they are in the marketplace and, and really compete against what the kind of false perceptions are that are created by the outlets that they can't control, right? Uh, and, and so we went in and, and experienced as a team their touch points that they had. And, and as a visitor, what experiences would we have? We dined where visitors dined. We stayed where visitors stay. And we had a lot of those experiences. And what we really found was that the thing that makes Laredo unique is that in, in a lot of parts of Laredo, Laredo, Texas, you can actually have an authentic Mexican experience in the continental United States. And that's something that you can't get in very many places. And Laredo is also a, a town that is essentially divided by a river, but that river also divides two countries, but it's right in the middle of the city. And so it also represents a little bit of the uh, the separation that you have between cultures and, and you know, between two countries and, and all within one city. 
and, and so they have a, a celebration that they do every year. And the, the name of that celebration escapes me right now, but they actually have everyone meet on everyone, everyone that's attending the event, meeting at the bridge uh, that, that they have that's across the river. And they actually have uh, little girls that will, I believe they carry flowers across the vid bridge. And it's a very, um, it's a very, I, I guess I would say uh, peaceful uh, experience and it represents uh, the the joining together of these two two cultures, two countries, and two parts of the city. And so we really looked at it as an opportunity to have Laredo positioned as uh, the tip of the spear in healing some of the relationships between different cultures and nations. Uh, and so we used the aloe plant, which is which is also native to the Laredo area. And we, we use the aloe plant in their logo to represent the healing that can take place between the two countries. And it also, we were able to uh, use components of uh, their brand identity to represent that it's more of a an, an authentic Mexican experience than it is Cowboy Texas, right? And so it was just such a successful rebrand for us uh, and for, for Laredo, that they're still using those assets today, even though it was several years ago that we worked on it. And it's probably one of the destination projects that I'm most proud of uh, in our portfolio because of, you know, there was a lot of large scale impact of, uh, of cultural things that, that this rebrand represented. And I felt like we were able to really execute it and, and, and leave somewhat of a legacy in, in having that project with Laredo. So, really, really great uh, opportunity. And, and it was a really great representation of what our team is capable of, you know, when we put our heads together. So uh, is, is a full immersion uh, engagement like that fairly typical of your agency, uh, Adam? Yes, and, and especially with brand work, right? Brand work okay. is, is really interesting because, you know, when somebody comes to us and says, hey, we're trying to launch a, an advertising campaign. Well, that's great, but if we don't understand who you are at your core as an organization, and if you internally as an organization are not aligned on who you are at your core and what your goals are as an organization, it's going to be really difficult for us to launch a successful advertising campaign where the message actually matches the experience. One of the worst things that you can have happen is you put a message out there and promise one thing, and the experience doesn't match at all. And, you know, there's there's several organizations that you can probably think of. One of, one of the best ones that I would say is, is when you have a technician for some organization coming to your house, you get a six-hour window within which they're going to come. And it's very unlikely that you're going to have a real positive uh, customer experience with those, even though their advertising says that they're amazing. Uh, there's actually a, an advertising campaign here in Utah for a, a car dealership that their campaign was, we hear you. And it was all about listening to the customer. And then, of course, you walk into the dealerships and it's, what do you want your payment to be? What do you want your payment to be? And it's like, that's not consistent with the message that you're yeah. putting out to the public. And so the reason I like brand work is because we get to really dig in uh, to, to who you are as an organization. And it ensures that our messaging and our campaign is going to be effective. Uh, and, and so the full immersion happens when we get the opportunity to work at the brand level. Makes sense. Yeah. 
And then on the EKR side, you know, one of the things that we're most proud of, we had about a year and a half ago, we had a company fill out a form on our website, on the EKR website. And they said, we're looking to launch a brand and we need help. And so they came to us and they had a, they had one store. It was a cookie company and it was called Dirty Dough. And they came to us, they had, they had the one store and they said, hey, uh, we would like to launch nationally uh, as, as a cookie brand. And the thing that made them unique is that they would, um, if you've ever heard the term dirty soda, where, where you put all the different mix-ins to, to a soda, you put like raspberry cream and a Dr. Pepper or whatever, uh, that, those are known as a dirty soda. And so they were taking that concept of all the mix-ins and they were putting it in cookies and saying, okay, we're going to inject this cookie with chocolate cream uh, or, or, you know, whatever the different flavors were. And so they had a unique uh, product. They had a unique business model where their franchisees were not going to require as many employees uh, in their stores to be able to be successful. And, and so we were able to get in and, and identify some real issues with the way their brand was positioned if they wanted to compete in the marketplace. We built their new visual identity brand foundation, built all that, built messaging. And then as soon as we finished that and we were preparing to launch that brand uh, in the state of Utah, uh, they actually were sued by uh, an organization called Crumble, which most of your listeners have probably heard of. It's a national cookie company that's based here in Utah. And they had some disputes. And what I won't comment on is which side was right in the lawsuit because I don't feel like that's really my place. But what I will say is that the Goliath suing the David in this scenario created a marketing opportunity for us that uh, we, well, I don't know that we've ever had the stars align like this before on a marketing campaign. And I actually opened up LinkedIn and I saw that the CEO of this cookie company had basically gone in and point by point refuted with his opinion the incorrect components of the lawsuit. And there were hundreds and hundreds of comments of political support. And then I opened up Instagram. I said political support, but what I meant was just support in the lawsuit. And then I opened up Instagram and I'm actually seeing in Instagram the same community support on Instagram. And I'm realizing what we had was, was this moment in time of public opinion that uh, that we could take advantage of from a marketing perspective. And so I called him that night and I said, I said, hey, I see what's happening here. I can see that the community is rallying behind you because you're a small organization. Are you willing to do something a little crazy? And and he said, you know what? Let's do it. Why not? And I was really impressed with his tenacity to be to be willing to try it because a lot of clients are afraid to take a risk. Um, and so we poked the bear. We, we put billboards up that said, you know, one of them was can't hurt our fillings, F-I-L-L-I-N-G-S, right? Um, and it, it was poking fun at the lawsuit. The other one uh, said, cookies so good, we're getting sued, was another billboard. Uh, and, and then we put another one up that had a, uh, it had a cookie, but then it had like the, the sign for no cookies on, like you're crossing it out. I don't know if I can on audio form tell that, but it's like the no smoking sign, but, but no cookies. And I mean, the visuals were just dynamite. We had just launched this, this new brand identity and it went absolutely viral and crazy and got tons of social media support. When we posted the pictures of those billboards on social media, 
and and this campaign actually made its way to the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Oh, uh, the Wall Street Journal was writing about the Utah Cookie Wars, which was a hashtag that my team came up with, uh, the Utah Cookie Wars. And, and so we were able to take this moment in time and just scale it to where th this company and of course, you know, the, the company had a ton. It's not like just our campaign made this happen. There was a lot of people working together, but they sold over 300 franchises in about two months. Uh, and, and, and so the amount of momentum that they gained off of the combination of this lawsuit and the incredible campaign that my team put together, um, it, it's one of the more uh I guess, large scale successes that we've had because it, we were just able to take this opportunity and go crazy with it. And, and it was on brand. Like it was, we, we had, we had built what the messaging tone and personality of the brand should be. And then the moment in time came and because we had done the brand foundation in the right order, we knew exactly what we needed to do. And it, it was one of the more fun professional things that I've been involved in. I can imagine. Yeah. So this next this next question you're gonna love. How do you different your differentiate yourselves from your competition? Yeah, so this is one of the more challenging parts of running an advertising agency is because advertising agency services have become relatively commoditized because yep. there's a lot of different organizations that are out there that are willing to maybe do what what the customer perceives as the same for less or the same for the same. Um, and, and so one of the things that, that we've really taken a close look at is first of all, how can we make sure that we have a process that's going to be um, different from what the other agencies are doing? And how can we make sure that that process sets us up for success? And like we did with Dirty Dough, that process got us to a point where no matter what the situation is that comes, we know exactly what to do because we've followed the process. Um, I think the other way that we differentiate ourselves is I, I had back when, you know, and, and maybe this is a good opportunity for me to touch on my background a little bit is I worked for what eventually became Relic for five years before I bought it with a couple of partners. Oh. And at, at that time when we bought it, um, we had the opportunity to decide, do we want to be a single service agency? So think like SEO or the paid search people or the Facebook people and learn one tactic and do it really, really well. My problem with that model for agencies is I feel like when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So whatever your marketing problem, if I'm the Facebook guy and you come to me and say, hey, we're having a hard time getting new customers, what am I going to recommend to you? You know, I'm going to recommend Facebook because that's what I offer. And I, I really, that really was illustrated for me when I was in college and I ended up selling radio uh, and, and selling radio services to, or radio advertising to businesses. And I sold a package to somebody and I just, I just knew it wasn't the best thing for them. Uh, ended up quitting my job after that because I, I did not feel, you know, great about uh, doing that. And I, I vowed to kind of never again be the single service and try to fit everyone into my program. Whereas instead we we've built out what we call a full service agency, where even though it's so much harder to make it profitable and it's very difficult to templatize and make things unique, it allows us to create custom solutions based on the actual problems that our clients are encountering instead of trying to just fit them into our solution. 
And I feel like it's more of a long-term game. I feel like it's it's a more challenging game from, from a leadership perspective, but I really feel like it's the right thing to do for our clients. And here in Utah, you know, there's not a ton of full service agencies like us, which really limits the competition, whereas there's a ton of the single service agencies that are out there. So let's talk about your business a little bit. So what are uh, the major milestones you know, already kind of indicated that you and a couple of partners bought the company that you now run, and then you bought another company. So kind of walk us through the, the key milestones, Adam, that you've experienced over the years here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I studied at BYU, like you mentioned in my bio, and worked at a really big agency for a couple of years. And had the opportunity to either go back or, and get my master's degree or take a job at this little three-person agency in St. George, Utah. And I ended up taking the job because I figured making money was better than paying money. You know, So uh, I, I took the job in, in, in St. George, and my job was to bring in new clients and then to build infrastructure to support those clients underneath me as I went. I uh, was able to grow that uh to to where we, you know, I, I don't think number of employees is the best measure of success, but because I wasn't privy to the numbers at the time, it's it's the number that I had to go off of. Uh, and, and so we went from three people to about 17 people when, when we acquired the agency from the previous owner. Um, in 2012, and this was before we bought the business, but 2012 was when we brought in our first tourism client. And so that was a huge game changer for us because referral after referral after referral next thing you know tourism's 40 percent of our business and when we bought it in 2016 <clears throat> excuse me we decided to go all in on tourism um and then as we were growing relic and uh trying to break into tourism uh, another big milestone for us was that in 2019 uh, I ended up starting a podcast. And the idea of that podcast was really just a credibility piece so that if we're trying to sell to somebody, they can go see if we know what the heck we're talking about, right? Um, and that has grown and evolved into what I believe is the largest podcast in the destination marketing industry and has allowed me to build relationships and meet people and even evolve my perspective on marketing from where it was beforehand. So that was another big milestone. But then after the pandemic, <clears throat> I guess during the pandemic is probably a better way to describe it. We started talking to some owners of another agency that was based here in Provo, Utah. And that agency had been around for 20 years, had a really solid reputation, uh, but was known more as just a brand strategy and web development shop. And so uh, the previous owners, actually, uh, one of the clients that they had the idea was conceived in an EKR conference room and it was Gab Wireless, which is the phone for kids that I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of. And so the guys that owned this agency, you know, there's a couple more zeros on the end. Uh, if you, if you're part of a company like that, as opposed to uh, a, a small advertising agency. And so I think they were really interested in seeing where that opportunity would take them. And I said, well, why not sell us your agency? Um, and, and so we acquired their agency in November of 2020. And, and I always joke, my career's just been this giant string of a combination of ambition and ignorance, because almost every time I've done something crazy, you know, I look back and I'm like, man, if I knew what I knew now, I don't know if I would have actually pulled the trigger on that. But at the same time, though, being willing to take those big swings has, has really given me the opportunity to, to succeed and to progress in my career and have experiences I wouldn't have otherwise. 
And so we body KR found out that we're not the, the advertising management savants that we thought we were uh, and, and found it really challenging to during a time when, when people are working remotely to blend two cultures and to retain clients when the owner, owners walked away day one. And, uh, you know, we kind of had a really tumultuous couple of years after that acquisition and feel like now in 2023, we've done a good job of stabilizing and, and getting in a much better position. And now, of course, we're in a position where we can focus much more on the employee experience because we've been able to kind of stop the bleeding in some of the places where we were having a hard time um, and, and really kind of reeling from that acquisition. Not meant to say that that acquisition was a, a bad decision in any way, because we are so fortunate to to not only have EKR, but have EKR and Relic sharing resources and working together. And we're seeing right now on the EKR side, some experiences and, and some projects in the private sector that we would never get to have on the Relic side, on the tourism side. Uh, Dirty Dough being one of those. Uh, we've also done some some other really, really fun projects uh, for a variety of organizations. Um, and, and so anyway, we, we see a very, very bright future with EKR uh, and really excited about where it's headed. But I'm not going to pretend it hasn't been a challenge for the last couple of years in, in trying to really, the, the main issue was we overestimated our ability to blend two cultures with the owners walking away and, and the circumstances that we had, I think it would have been challenging in a normal circumstance. And yet we were confident in our ability to make it work uh, in all the circumstances that we had. So a very, you know, challenging lesson that we experienced, but I think it's made us better as operators as a result. Let's talk about culture. So uh, you had two cultures, uh, did they did you end up kind of morphing a new culture out of it or did you ultimately find one of the cultures dominant what happened well that's a that's actually a, an interesting question because the the question that i've struggled with over the last 3 years uh, maybe more than anything else is in agencies what really differentiates them as a workplace is the culture of creativity and collaboration and fun, right? That, that you get in an advertising agency. How do you duplicate that when everyone is home and the moment the meeting's over, they hit the red button and All the right. collaboration ends, right? Um, now we've, we've done a lot to try to foster and facilitate collaboration outside of, of, you know, the scheduled meetings that people have, but, one of the biggest challenges I've had is I'll have some people say, I'm never coming back to the office. And then I've had some people say, I need the, the camaraderie that comes with being in an office. And so how do you make everybody happy? Uh, and and I, I've got to say, I haven't solved that yet. So I'm not going to pretend on here that, that we've solved that problem. But I'll, I'll say that we've worked really, really hard to, for one, communicate more frequently our long-term vision for both sides of the organization. And we've tried to really focus on our core values as an organization. And we are hiring and firing by those core values and making sure that we're sticking to those core values. Um, and, and it's funny because I'm seeing that as we do that, I'm seeing the collaboration and uh, you know employee camaraderie almost happen organically when they trust that the person on the other side of the screen 
is working just as hard as they are and in the the trenches with them. Uh, and so I, I feel like focusing on our vision and our core values and, of course, revamping our our uh pricing structure as well to try to accommodate for the changes that have happened in the marketplace in the last couple of years. I think those efforts have resulted in more of an organic creation of um, what, what I'll call culture, but I can't say that our, our culture is fully defined at this point. I think we got a long ways to go. So uh, tell us a bit about management. So how do you, uh, how do you manage these two organizations or, or if you basically treat them as one? So we tried the treating them as one uh, side of things, and it was kind of a dumpster fire. <laughs> uh, we, we had a really hard time. I think our employees had a hard time understanding which organization to focus on at what time. I think our, our management structure was actually a real problem. Uh, and, and so we ended up restructuring uh, about a year, about a year ago, uh, maybe a little less than a year ago, um, ended up assigning two uh, team directors. So one team director over Relic, one team director over EKR. Uh, and luckily I had those two fantastic women on staff that, that had the ability to take on those roles because they're two of the most important roles in our organization. And each of them is responsible for the growth, profitability, uh, management of each of the individual teams that they manage. And that, that's been a real turning point because what it's allowed me to do is to delegate some of the, the situations that I've had to be really in the weeds on in the past and delegate that to them. And then I had to discover that there's certain things I'm good at delegating and then there's certain things that I actually get in the way on. Uh, and, and so if I don't delegate all of it, uh, that, then I actually get in the way and cause problems and undermine the team director. And so one of the biggest challenges was me figuring out that I need to just stay out of all their day-to-day -day operations so that I can get out of their way and let them do their job. And I think that's been the biggest turning point is once those team directors were empowered to actually operate their teams the way they knew that they needed to be operated um, and hire and, and build the and develop the staff underneath them to be able to support it, which they've done an incredible job at. So uh, do you uh, do you have meetings with those two uh, women and yourself also at, at a kind of a higher level? Yes. Yeah, so we have an executive team, which consists of me, my business partner, the two team directors, and then we have a new business director, the person in charge of sales for our organization. Right. So we meet uh, monthly with that team. And then uh, we also have bi-weekly. I actually don't like the term bi-weekly because that actually indicates that we would be doing it twice a week. So whatever the word is for every other week, I do one-on-ones with each of my team directors and my new business director. And we talk about with each of them and their teams, what they're struggling with. And, and I try to coach them through solving some of the challenges that they're encountering. I used to just you know, immediately try to dive in and solve the problem. Every time they come to me with a problem, what I've had to learn is I need to do a better job of coaching through the solution so that they have the tools for next time to solve it on their own. That makes great sense. So, uh, Adam, what's uh, holding you back right now, do you feel? Oh, man, that's a, that's a good question. What's holding me back right now? I think one of the biggest things that's holding me back is honestly my personal development as a CEO. Uh, and, and I think this goes for everybody that's in a position. You don't know what you don't know. 
right? And, and so there's been a lot of things that I've had to learn the hard way, a lot of things that I've had to um, work with my leaders on and ask for some painful feedback on, you know, and, and try to understand. I think the biggest thing holding us back is, is we can only be as good as I can be as a president and CEO, and I, I've got work to do. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things holding me back. And then the other thing is I really feel like this uh, the, the current uncertainty in the economy is kind of painful for a lot of organizations and in inflation and and the challenge of trying to keep up with the cost that I know our employees are continuing to uh, incur. Um, you know, that's something that we've got to continue to look at. And that's why we're revamping our our pricing is to try to solve for that. So I'd say that's the other thing that's holding me back is the fact that the needs of our employees keeps changing and evolving at a pace faster than we're capable of keeping up with as a, as an organization. We're trying to solve it, but that's definitely something that's holding us back. So do you, do you see yourself, Adam, firing a couple of clients to get that pricing model adjusted or you think everybody will accept it? Well, so we've, we've changed pricing at different times over the years. And, and there's certain clients that, that keep the lights on and there's certain clients that, that you make a healthy profit on. Right. Uh, and, and so what, what's been challenging is figuring out which clients are, are keeping the lights on and which clients are the ones that you're actually making a healthy profit on. And we've avoided on the ones that we know we need to, to keep the lights on. We've avoided changing their pricing uh, in the past, which I, I actually think was a mistake. I think I should have been more firm with that, uh, but it's something that I was fearful of in the past. And with the other ones, we've gone to them and we've said, here's our new pricing. And if you want to continue, this is what it's going to be. And if not, we we wish you the best of luck. But I don't think we were in a position where I was confident enough in the quality of our team and delivery, uh, which ultimately, by the way, that's that's from my ability to train and develop too, right? But yeah, I wasn't yeah. confident enough to go say that to the clients. Whereas over the last year and a half, we've had a lot more of those conversations. And in fact, just recently, I had to have that conversation with one of the keep the lights on clients. Um, and, and it's interesting because once we had that conversation, their reaction first was to be upset and they weren't thrilled with it. But then second, it was, okay, here's the things that we'll take back over off your plate so that we're not overloading your team compared to the price that we're paying you. And even though it's not an increase in what we're billing, it's a decrease in the bandwidth that we have to allocate to, to support them. Uh, and, and so I think we're headed in the right direction on that, but we will ultimately need to probably fire a couple of clients along the way. I think that's, that's going to have to be part of the process because legacy clients that have been around for eight, nine years that aren't willing to see us as what we are today versus what we were when they hired us, that's where yeah. the rub usually comes in. I think that's right. So, uh, Adam, how can our uh, listeners get a hold of you? So I would say check out our website at either ekragency.com or relicagency.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search, search out Adam Stoker on LinkedIn. Uh, there's not very many of those, so that's good. It's S-T-O-K-E-R, but I'm very active on LinkedIn, and it's a great place to connect. All right, great. So, Adam, look, I've asked you several questions, but maybe there's a question that I didn't think of that I should have asked you. And if there is one of those, what is the question and what's the answer? 
I think I think the the question would be, what advice do you have for people that are that are trying to get the right message to the right people at the right time? You know, and and I think to that, I, I would say, if you don't know who the right people are, how in the world could you ever get the right message or the right time figured out? So if you don't have a really solid profile of your customer. Every marketing dollar you spend is essentially a, a blindfolded shot in the dark, right? And so uh, I would suggest make sure that you know exactly who your customer is. And if you know that, you'll have a much better chance of getting the messaging and timing correct. So percentage-wise, how important is, out of 100% of the marketing activities, you, how important is knowing your clients, if you will, the avatar that you're after? What percent? Boy, that's a great question. I, I mean, part of me wants to say 99% because okay. the rest of it is wasted. Uh, but I, I, I would probably go a little bit more conservative and say 75% of it is identifying the correct customer. And then with the remaining 25%, you, you're probably going to be pretty accurate if you've, if you've allocated your efforts at the first 75% well enough to get the target audience correct. That's extremely wise coaching, Adam. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. So everybody, in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses don't become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first creating a visionary strategy for the future. Second, having a management system to execute that strategy. And number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, you can get your hands in those three tools. Just go to getbillsgift.com, and you'll get those three tools for free. So thanks for listening, Adam. Thanks for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. Thanks, Bill. I really appreciate it. Great to talk to you. All right.